Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi, and welcome to the show. Uh, Dr. Tim is away this week, so all of his hours are pre-recorded. Michael and I will be back with you at 1 o'clock. However, today's Wednesday, December 28, 2022, and the show that Dr. Tim wanted me to play for today is from May the 13th, 2019. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm your host for the first hour Tim Hayes, this is Monday, May 13th, 2019, and we're here on Mind Shifters Radio to teach and promote the use of some of the most powerful tools I've learned in all of these nearly 45 years of doing therapy and living life. These tools are available, almost all of them for free at www.why. A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If you go to that website and click on the link that says start here or the red and white bullseye page where you can download chapter 24 of Dr. Rice's book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And a host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have called in and been stepped through the worksheet process and links to the 24-and-a-half-minute PowerPoint presentation by Bill Costantino that explains in great detail how a system like this works, how my thoughts are connected, and my perception is driven by my goals, and how my goals manage my mental stress, and how canceling my goal can open a window for me to see what more accurately what might be the source of my upset. Um, we're trained in this culture to believe that when I'm upset, it means someone or something outside of me needs to change. And what we understand and teach in this work is that when I'm upset, that's an internal alarm inside my system trying to get me to wake up and realize my thoughts are in error. I am either looking at a tiny fraction of what's going on and isolating out something almost completely irrelevant, or I'm taking accurate, relevant bits of information and reorganizing them in an inappropriate way. And my discomfort, my negative emotion, 
can be very useful to me if I view it as a guidance system to tell me that my thoughts are in error. It can be the thing that motivates me to turn the focus inside myself and ask with a willingness to be shown, what is it I'm doing to create my own pain here? How might I look at this situation and my role in this situation differently in a way that will lead to a more productive outcome? So the primary tool in this work is the seven-step reality management worksheet or wake-up sheet process, and that's available for free download off of that. And, And the other thing that's available is the information on how to go to your app store for either the Android or the Apple device and download a completely free and private app. And to find it, you just search for the words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C. This app, I have made um, uh, frequent use of over this past weekend since getting quite triggered in the end of last uh, Friday's show. And it's an invaluable resource to me. It makes it so much easier for me to wake up in the middle of the night, reach over and grab my phone, realize there's racing thoughts in my mind, and step through a worksheet process. So I have done quite a few of the seven-step reality worksheet, reality management worksheet processes through the app on the phone this past weekend. So I have tremendous gratitude for Jeannie and Michael for supporting her in putting that app together and creating what Michael likes to call the world's first true Aramaic forgiveness app. When you download that app, you get access to the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet in an abbreviated version, the full version of the seven-step worksheet process, and the Dragon Klingon game, which is a great way to just switch it up for us adults or introduce younger people to the forgiveness process and this ancient Aramaic tool for managing my emotions and moving myself to a more loving Uh, emotional state which allows me to have a far more accurate perception of life in the moment so there are a host of other tools and I will leave you to explore those Um, there are links to audio files where some of them are people being stepped through the worksheet process and some of them are rather dramatic testimonials about how benefited from applying these tools in their lives. So I'll take a break and ask for people to put their hand up, have a question or a comment. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you press one, it'll put a little question mark up by your the microphone that comes up in the uh, switchboard and I'll announce you by your area code and we'll have a conversation. And heaven knows there's plenty to have a conversation about. So area code 513, you're in the air. Give us a name and how can we support you? 
Area code 513. Oh, this is Yurate. Hello, Yurate? Hello. Yes. How can we support you? I was planning more on listening than supporting, so I guess I was not prepared. <laughs> All right, then no problem. We'll let you just go on listening. You're somehow Wonderful. or another your phone put the uh put the little question mark up if you touched number 1. So, I'll just uh yeah. mute your microphone and you can just listen in. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So, we have plenty of time for calls and questions. We have a full 50 minutes left. How can we support you? Who or what is a challenge in your life? What questions might you have about these tools? I'll just give people a moment to decide if they want to put their hand up and make sure that I'm uh, able to launch the chat room. It's been a little bit of a sticking point this morning. So area code 563-999-3581. So by way of explanation or demonstration, one of the reasons that I do this work, and people frequently ask me, you know, why do you donate so much time to the support groups two nights a week and the Internet show five days a week? And my answer is because if I didn't do that work, if I didn't hold myself accountable and create the space where people were expecting me to show up, then I wouldn't do this work as much. I could easily fall back into the old habit of thinking that when there's an upset that comes up in me, that means someone outside of me needs to change or I need to run away from somebody or attack them or bribe them to get them to change so that I'll feel better. Whereas when I teach this work, when I use these tools on a regular basis, I remind myself of the usefulness of using every bit of emotional upset that I experience as a warning sign that I need to turn inside myself and find out what I'm doing. I guess somebody's microphone is off. I need to mute them. What I'm doing that's creating the upset that my culture wants me to blame on the people and things outside of me. The more I teach this, the more it stays top of mind for me and the more I pick up and use the tools. The more I pick up and use the tools, the more I remove the, you know, one of the acronyms I like for fear is the false evidence appearing real. The more I remove the false beliefs in my system from my experiences in life, whether they were very early in life or fairly recent in life. The experiences that I have where I I get, they generate for me the, the pattern of downloading a negative thought about myself or somebody else, I can instantly know that that thought 
and that emotion, three things are true about them. The first one is that thought is false or it's a lie. The second thing is it's an old tape playing. And the third thing is if I act from it, I'm going to make my situation worse. Now, this is the opposite of what my culture teaches me. And I had 45 years of life and conditioning, including getting a doctorate in clinical psychology, in which people trained me to sit with patients and ask them, how did that make you feel when he did this or when she said that? As though the person outside of them was causing their emotions or the situation outside of them was causing their emotions. And I was fully 45 years old and had been doing therapy with people where I was asking them to question an impossible situation. Before somebody came along and said, can we get you to slow down and observe this a little bit more closely? Can we get you to just look at all of the evidence that your culture has taught you to ignore that demonstrates to you time and again that you are only always and ever upset about the thoughts you're choosing to place on a situation, not about the situation itself. And it was quite a shock to my system. It was quite a shock to the ego and the doctorate in clinical psychology and the psychologist to question the fundamental assumption of most of what I was doing in therapy and had been taught to do and most of the way I was living my life in response to people and situations was false. And in order to be able to see it was false, I had to question it. So as a shock to my system, the old momentum and habit of thought would quickly come back in whenever I would get distracted. And I would find myself many times during the day having an angry or negative response to something and thinking, oh, this person's an idiot or that situation is stupid or, you know, this person is out to get me or, you know, life isn't fair. And I would just spend a prolonged period of time in that emotional upset. why I do all of the mind shifter support groups and the five days a week, one hour a day internet show to try and re restate these things, teach them again and again, pick up the tools for myself, keep it top of mind, make it a conversation in my individual therapy sessions bring in teachers from various perspectives that are all witnessing and and observing the same fundamental truths. Because the more I keep it top of mind, the more likely I am to use the tools when I get triggered. And as I mentioned, I got very triggered on Friday afternoon. It was afternoon here. In the last five to seven minutes of the Internet show where Dr. Rice was talking to somebody on, on, on the call. And so 
I knew instantly that I needed to use the tools. And so because I had two immediate Immediately following that internet show, I had two sessions I had to do with patients. I did some quick breathing and using the acupuncture meridians that I like to use through the emotional freedom technique and took five minutes after the show to get myself calm and centered. And then I saw two patients and then I went immediately to work doing worksheets and sorting out my thoughts and figuring out, okay, what is this emotion? Well, the first one was fear, and then there was irritation, and then there was confusion. And as I kept doing the worksheets, I had a a repeat cycle of fear, and then confusion, and then anger or irritability, and then sadness. And then those four emotions just kept cycling through for me as I would do the worksheets. And as I mentioned, I did almost all of them on the app on my phone simply for convenience sake. And because quite a few of these were done in the middle of the night. And one of the things that I... I, you know, um, uh, another thing I want to back up and say here is people ask me, why do you donate all this time to this work? Another reason I donate so much time to this work is so that I can be around and be engaged in the community of people like the ones who show up on the Internet show on Friday and the ones who show up in the support group because these people are wonderful examples for me when they are, I'll call it blatantly honest, when they're fully open, when they take a risk, when they share some of their most shame-filled or rage-filled thought patterns and past events. And so I get uh, motivated by listening to people who share as deeply and honestly And I used that motivation this past weekend as I just kept doing worksheets and understanding that there's nothing in the outside events that causes any of these four emotions that kept coming up for me, the fear, the irritability, the confusion, and the sadness. And so because I've practiced this for so long, I was able to keep coming back and reminding myself as some part of my mind would want me to focus on what somebody said or what somebody didn't say and that's why I'm so upset here and repeatedly remind myself that while they actually said this and they actually did that and that might require some action from me to make a decision or have an influence on my life none of that is generating the fear, the irritability, the confusion, or the sadness. And so as I kept reminding myself that it was all an inside job and doing the worksheets, I started to get, you know, I started to peel back the layers. And the first thing that happened was 
the I'd say three or four worksheets I almost fell asleep at the end of each worksheet I knew I was hitting a level where my some part of my mind did not want me to see what's going on so I I would just come out of the worksheet and and write oh I've gone I've gone unconscious I'm drawing a blank now there have been times when I've shared worksheets on the show where I'd gotten some powerful insights and I I did that you know, a month or two ago when I'd gotten some deeply triggered by some events in my life and those worksheets are wonderful they give me some clarity they're full of emotional shifts and tears but it, you know I can get a an insight into how the the false belief that I'm holding got generated at a specific age from a specific pattern of interaction and yet every bit as valuable to me are those worksheets where I go blank where I I need to hold the willingness to keep going back to the tool even when as I review it and I cancel my goal for the other person or the situation to change and I have to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's causing the upset and I I I I fall asleep or I feel like I'm going unconscious those worksheets are a necessity for me and you might ask why and I say because it's part of peeling off the layers it's part of demonstrating to myself the willingness to just keep doing the process and one of the one of the ones where uh, I wrote at the you know having canceled my goal for someone or something outside of me to change and asked to be shown the hidden part of my mind that's causing my upset then I took a breath and it says now how do you feel and I scanned the body and I, I realized I, I was feeling like I'd almost fallen asleep right then so I wrote the words blank hyphen unconscious on that form and then as soon as I wrote that I had a thought that didn't come up during the release so I wrote that thought down and the thought had to do with I, I just wrote the words fear of going on my motorcycle trip alone and using visits to friends houses to sustain me now, I have to tell you that if you saw this worksheet and you saw what the trigger was you know something that Michael Rice said on the internet show on Friday and you saw what my goal was you'd say well what the heck does going on a motorcycle trip after college have to do with that and I, I tell you I don't know and it's okay <laughs> I have to be willing to just trust the process and then I picked up another worksheet and did another worksheet on the, exactly the same trigger from Friday's show with you know exactly the same goal and just kept repeating the process until something either faded away so I felt calm or I ran out of time and I had a responsibility to be someplace else or it started to make some sense 
And what I thought, what I felt, what I saw at the end of the worksheet started to make conscious logical sense or at least an emotionally based sense for what the, in, the initial trigger was. So I breathe and I repeat the process. I breathe and I trust that the power of this tool will work for me anytime I'm upset if I'm willing to just keep applying it. If I'm willing to realize if I have any level of upset in me, anything other than the instantaneous physiological reflexive response to protect myself or a loved one from a physical danger in the moment, any thoughts that generate a negative emotion are all an inside job. And they distort my perception. And if I want to be able to see clearly and have my highest and best perception, I must apply these tools. So guided by the really powerful, honest sharing that Susan did on Friday, I just kept nudging myself to do more and more worksheets and nudging myself to be willing to be more and more brutally honest and one of the things that I got to at the end of the long weekend of worksheets was, and I've talked about at different times over the years, I've talked about how Guy Finley says there's no such thing as bad self-knowledge. That everything that's in my awareness, whether I'm hiding it from myself and I call it unconscious or it's conscious and I can have direct access to it. Everything that's in there is okay for me to see. Every last bit of it. And so I used the honesty, the openness that Susan was demonstrating on Friday to motivate myself to just keep being honest and just keep being even more deeply honest. And over the years, I've had a few events in my life where no matter what happened, I wouldn't share that. I would keep that a secret from everybody else in my life. Now, most of those things that happen in my life, if they're embarrassing or awkward, I share them and I laugh about it and I use them as evidence for the people I work with that we're all human and we're all the same. And yet there have been these few nagging things where it felt so dark and deep and horrible that I never told another person about it. And I've been continually uncovering these things over the years. They're the kinds of things that when they would come to mind, I would flinch and shiver and hope nobody saw me shiver because I don't want to have to explain about the shameful thought that just went through my mind. And the more I've done these worksheets over rather intense issues that have gotten triggered for me, the more I stumble across those kinds of issues every once in a while. There aren't that many of them, but every once in a while. 
the amazing thing about it is that when I hold the openness to do more worksheets on it, usually there's tears, there's upset, there's fear, there's hurt, there's confusion that comes up in me. And eventually, if I just hold the willingness to keep doing the worksheets, there's some kind of a breakthrough. There's some kind of a shift in my perspective. And I, I somehow an integration takes place between what I downloaded in that previous age of my life and that previous worldview and my current chronological self. And the integration allows me to see that past situation very, very differently to understand why it was so traumatic for me at the time, to understand that it isn't that big a deal today, and then to have the complete liberty to share that with others where minutes before I'd spent a lifetime of holding that secret, defending against it, denying it out loud or whatever. So one of those finally came up. I did worksheets Friday night, Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday in the middle of the day, Saturday afternoon and evening, Saturday night into Sunday morning through the middle of the night. I did worksheets last night in the middle of the night. I did some this morning. <laughs> and I finally had one of those what most people would call innocuous events from the past that came up two or three worksheets in a row as a flash of, uh, of insight. Um, uh, it's not really the word um, because I didn't initially get um, an insight, but it's a flash of a memory. And it's one of those things where every time this has come up, this would have been probably when I was uh, 14 years old, Every time this came up in the past, I would shut down the memory and stay in denial about what happened and feel tremendous shame and then not share it with anybody. And lo and behold, I, I decided to do a couple more worksheets on that flash of memory and discover a new, deeper level of shame and fear that I'd never let myself see before. So here's, here's the memory that came to me. The memory that came to me was that we had very recently moved into a new house, which was the dream of my parents. They'd had the plans for that house for over 10 years and they'd finally got to build their dream house where they literally went through the blueprints and changed it time and again to try and make sure it was going to be just the perfect house. And then the financial crisis hit and so it was quite a, a burden you know, they moved us in there anyway. But now, you know, we, we, we were told as a family, you know, there's money's very tight. And so, and so 
one of the things that we had was a a BB gun um, and an indoor little target that you could shoot the BB gun at. And I thought it might be interesting to see if I could get, if I could hit the target as I ricocheted off of either the basement wall or the uh, sliding glass door that was near the target. And so I shot shot a BB to try and bounce it off of the window to the target. You know, and my mind said, this isn't going to hurt the window because it's nice and solid and it's just a glancing blow. And, and I put a hole in the window. And then, of course, I denied it forever. What I discovered in the worksheets this past weekend was that was at a time in our lives when I had been raised in the Catholic Church as this, you know, always wanting to be the best little person. And that was at a time when they were still preaching very vehemently that you will go to hell, capital H, hell, and burn for all eternity if you lie, if you commit one of these sins. Combining that with my very idealistic 14-year-old self and my knowledge of how my parents were in a financial crisis and what I heard about how much it would cost to replace that window, I thought I was going to be responsible. If I claimed that I had done this, I was going to be responsible for us having to lose the house and move out. And for my very immature, idealistic 14-year-old self, it was just too much to accept. So I just went into this full-blown denial and trying to convince myself that it, it wasn't me that did it and convince my parents that I didn't do it and I don't know how it happened, etc. So I came up with a story that it bounced off of the target and then hit the window. And so, you know, the evidence was there that it came from a different angle, but I just, I couldn't let that in. And I couldn't talk about this. Even If you'd asked me about this a week ago, I would not be able to talk out loud about that shame and that lie and that terror that I had. So one of the benefits of living life with the active use of tools is that whatever goes on in my life, I can choose to use it as the motivation to explore the things that are holding me back. That every time I keep a secret whatever amount of energy I put into keeping that secret, I put an equal amount of my own mind energy into feeding the conclusion that I'm damaged, broken, and unlovable, and that if the people that I'm keeping the secret from ever find out the secret, they're either going to attack me or run away from me. So 
the path to liberty, the path to increased lightness and flexibility in my life is to find and dismantle the reasons for holding any secrets. Any, capital A, capital N, capital Y, underlined secrets. Now, usually when I talk about this, I also mention that there's a, a big and important difference between secrecy and privacy. So this doesn't mean that I have to share everything with everybody. What this means is I must be willing to be honest about my motivations and the negative emotions that may get generated for me when I decide to keep something secret. And if there's a motivation of fear prompting me to keep something secret, that's a problem. That's me using my mind energy to hurt myself, and that's me using my mind energy to feed denial and fear and shame, and that's me hiding from myself the fact that I'm the one responsible for my pain, my fear, my sadness. So I'll take a breath and ask people to put up a hand, ask a question, make a comment, share a story today. How, if at all, were any of you on the show on Friday? Did anybody get triggered by any of that? Does anybody have any further questions about what was so triggering for me? 563-999-3581. Press 1 and we'll have a conversation. We have 20 minutes left. And you might be the person who provides the impetus for my next piece of work, for my next level of growth and calm and centered, loving experience of life. I, sh I suppose while I'm waiting for people to put a hand up, I should mention that we are getting closer. We are just... Oh, I don't know how many days that is. We're like three weeks away, a little less than three weeks away from Dale Allen Hoffman being on the show to do an interview. And so May 31st, Friday, Dale Allen Hoffman will be on the show. And then on June 12th, we'll have Dodie Corcoran on the show. And Dodie does some work with Family Constellations as a tool. And Dale Allen Hoffman does the Ancient Aramaic Study and does a practical, spiritual application of the ancient tools that he gets deeper and deeper insight into as he studies the ancient Aramaic language and the Greek language and the Latin, and he's quite a, quite a linguist. And yet, he's using his study of language for practical purposes, to uncover what was in the ancient teachings and then to 
test it out, to put it in use in the laboratory of life to see if the ancient truths or tools or techniques actually make a difference for the better in one's life. And that's exactly what we're promoting here in Mind Shifters Radio, the tools that you'll find at whyagain.org or the mindshifters-academy.org website. These are tools that will, if you apply them consistently and persistently in your life, improve the quality of your life, your emotions, your relationships, your communications, and that's why we do this show. So 563-999-3581, how can we support you? I had uh, the occasion last night when I was up after doing a worksheet or two to read uh, a very short book that was uh, recommended to me by the um, by Doty, who will be our our guest in uh, in June on June twelfth, and that book is titled "You're Not Going Crazy, You're Just Waking Up." And that book has, it's a short book. Um, I think he calls them five stages of soul transformation. And um, I don't know how many pages are in the book, but there aren't that many. It's a very concise book where he talks about, I'm, I'm scrolling trying to get to the top of the book, that um, the five stages of soul transformation process by Michael Merdad, forwarded by Gary Renard. And Gary Renard is a a world-renowned author of books related to the Course in Miracles. His 400 and some page book titled "The Disappearance of the Universe" is a 400 page treaty treaties trying to get us to understand what's meant by the 1,300 pages in The Course of Miracles. Well, Michael Merdad has broken new ground, (laughs) and he's got a very short book here. (laughs) It's not 400 pages. It may not even be 100 pages. But it's it's a very interesting book that looks at five stages of having a soul transformation. And it's what most of us hear when Dr. Michael Rice says, you know, healing is not Dr. Feelgood. So the five stages of the soul transformation process are, number one, dismantling. (laughs) Tearing things down. How can we dismantle our lives? And the second stage is emptiness. And the third stage is disorientation. And the fourth stage is rebuilding. And only the fifth stage brings us that new life. So it's, uh, there's nothing in it to conflict with our teachings here, and yet some might find it a quite a useful little roadmap. Because often when we have people come to this work, they start with a support group where they start listening to the internet shows, we frequently have the comment from people that it feels like they reach the conclusions 
that they have to give up most of their current friendship relationships. And, and basically what's happening with that is that they're realizing what by the time they come to a, a spiritual work like this or a set of tools like this, they're doing it because they're not satisfied. They're coming looking for something, greater peace, better relationships, deeper satisfaction in life, whatever. And as they start looking at these tools, they realize, oh, most of the relationships in my life currently are based on gossip and bitterness and blaming others. And so if I want a healthier life, I have to have healthier relationships. So that's part of that dismantling process. But I'll put that on hold for a minute and uh, ask, uh, is this Susan? 610, you're in the air? Yeah. Well, well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for your show and your honesty. My my first thought when you said, well, you shot that BB and lied about it, I thought, is that all? Is that all? Is that all that you, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to discount or minimize but that didn't seem like a terrible thing at all to me. So I began to think while you were talking that there's a hierarchy of unforgivable sins. And uh, yours is pretty much quite forgivable, whereas the issue I've been dealing with, and I bet many people could say, I'm still... Here's the point, Susan. This is the point. They're all the same. It's just like... Like when you have the um, the statements in Course in Miracles that, you know, there's no level of difficulty in miracles, right? The same thing for sin. There's no, there's no difference. There's no outside source that's going to judge me at any way that makes any difference at all harder than I judge myself. And it's not about the action. It's about what I make it mean to me, how I choose to throw interpretations and emotional energy on that action or that event. Yeah, you're right on it. You're right on it. (sighs) So I still think there's an outside. I get it. I mean, what you said, just I get it. I just haven't believed that what you say is right. I mean, I, it, it seems as if there are still a couple of issues out there in the ozone which are beyond the pale and that there is an objective judger of things that says everything's okay, but not this one, not this one. Okay, so continue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, mm. except that's not the case. And and it's only when I dismantle my particular level of judgment. I can't begin to tell you how many times people have shared on this show re- what I would consider really deep stuff, like mm-hmm. the sharing you were doing last Friday. I can't tell you how many times I have had people and I've had them listen to the show and then have 
the other people come back and say, oh, is that all? And <laughs> for them, it, it would be nothing. Oh, so, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff that Susan was talking about on Friday, is that all? <sighs> you know. Because oh, that's so hard to believe. Yeah, I know, because for any one of us who has made our issue the most important in the entire universe, it's hard Mm. to believe anybody else's little gnat screaming at the universe is important. Mm -hmm. Mm. I feel as if I have a teaspoon and I am digging into the earth to set up a garden with a teaspoon. And every time you say it's an inside job, there's nothing, not one thing that's worse than another. I've dug a little little layer of dirt out of that garden, but it just, why is it taking so long to get to the point where I can feel the truth of what you're saying? Because I believe it. Well, maybe I don't quite, but I'm getting there. Well, and you might say, I want to believe it. I want to believe it. I want to believe it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and the longer I keep applying the tools and helping myself question what the mm-hmm. truth of what is, and I keep my motivation up that I want to see this clearly, mm-hmm. then the greater the probability I will eventually see it clearly. Mm-hmm. So just breathe. I'm breathing. So many questions. Um, I went to a convention years ago, 1979. It's when the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer was just reissued, the 1979 version of the Book of Common Prayer, and they had a convention in Denver, Colorado. And... I went out there with a whole musical troupe and we were performing there and everything. But they had booths at this convention and one booth had to do with the correction of homosexuality. They, there's a word for it. Um, conversion the therapy? Of, yes, conversion therapy. And I remember going in there and talking to them and they they were perfectly nice people, but they said, "Oh yes, you know, uh, this is this is correctable, this is fixable." Well, a lot of things we do in life. If we were a thief, like you, or a liar, like you lied about the BB gun shot, certainly there is a need for correction there. But it doesn't seem so awful that there's a need for correction there. But when these people were talking to me about the conversion therapy that they do, I just thought inside myself, I know what turns me on. I know what attracts me. And I seem to be on the straight side at last because I probably am bisexual. And I'm married and I've had a good relationship uh, and I've been able to be on that side of things. But if somebody told me that I had to correct that, 
and end up on the other side. I knew deeply that I could not do that, and it wouldn't be a matter of not willing. It would be a matter of something so deeply basic to who I was that it it just seemed like a disastrous idea for those people on the other side of the fence. So let me just ask you to... All right, let yeah. me just ask you to take a breath and let okay. me just commend you for the obvious work you've done this weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> and breathe into it and don't let anybody shake that knowing that you just expressed. Okay. Just breathe into okay, it. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. There's just there are no need for words. There's no need to discuss this or argue with it. The, the deep knowing you just expressed, that's what this is about. Your peace, your comfort from knowing who you are, and it's just this innate part of you, and that's what we want you to that's what's available to all of us. What we mm-hmm. say over and over again on these shows is we don't want people to follow Dr. Rice or Dr. Hayes or we don't want people following any kind of a guru. We're encouraging people to use the tools and to get clearer, open, more free-flowing access to that guided from a higher level of awareness, intuitive knowing and creativity that every one of us has access to. So you're saying that my knowing is is a real thing. It's not just my wish. Yes. It, and, it is and, true. And what it's I, my knowing. That's right. What I'm going to say is your knowing is more real than anybody's, anybody's beliefs, <laughs> mm-hmm. even your own. That's funny. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, I believe because yeah, I was taught this. Yeah, now that this. you mention it. See, a belief, yeah, a belief is a set of old dead thoughts that I bring with me from the past and try and force as a template onto the real life of the moment. Mm-hmm. And your knowing is far more real than that. And what you came to, what you just said about what you know about how you're attracted, that's all you need. Mm -hmm. Just breathe into that. And that's the value of doing the work. You've clearly Mm -hmm. been doing some work this weekend. Oh, you're kidding. I mean, uh, because the the ongoing mind shifter. But because of the way that you just stated that so clearly, if you go back and listen to the way you were talking and how you sounded and the level of emotion and confusion on Friday and hurt in your mm-hmm. voice. And then you just, just replay this part of the show where you just made that statement so clearly there's the mm-hmm. evidence of the benefit of your work. And all I want to do it's is yeah. encourage you to just breathe into that and strengthen it and hold on to it. And okay. there isn't any need for, there isn't any need for you to look to any outside source for validation. Mm. And it's wonderful because when you said it, there was no asking for validation 
there was no open questioning. It was a statement of your knowing. And that's Mm -hmm. what's possible when I do my work and get rid of the garbage, the negative beliefs, the past traumas, the false conclusions. Mm -hmm. Uh, A mind shifter. You gave me a mind shifter. Uh, You that that has replaced all worksheets for the entire weekend. And you talk about all the worksheets you did, which they're both good, but I have this agreement with Julie Haverstick that I'll do two worksheets a day, and I abandoned that over the weekend for sitting with the mind shifter you gave me, which kept yielding so much stuff, so much stuff, so much stuff. And the... So far, I've come to a real aha, and I I trust you did too with the BB gun thing, that you somehow have found in yourself the truth of the fact that there was that denial and that lying was out of a terrible fear you had, a fear of being the result of being found out you'd go to hell. But you'd go to hell for lying, too. But you probably would have. I mean, there was a reason you didn't tell the truth. Well, and, and also that, I, that, that, my, that my family was going to lose the house they just got. And it would be all my fault. Is that a construct of your noodle? Did you figure that one out or think clear right, that? Right. Is that the it's, truth? It's, it's, it's the oh, same okay. thing as, as the going to the hell. It's a false belief appearing real. Yeah. I see. Okay. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's amazing that that came up in all the other stuff you had to do and the trigger that caused it, which seems so far removed from the BB gun. But isn't it amazing how the mind works and what we keep from ourselves? Oh, my God. Keeping at it so important. Well, and that's the thing is that that's why these tools are so helpful to me because there's no amount of my conscious logical processing that ever would have made connections between some mm-hmm. of the things that have come up on the worksheet and what was you know what 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 were issues that that did need to be addressed from the internet yeah. show on Friday. Mhm. Yeah. <sighs> wow. So I would encourage you to just hold on to the work you've done and don't let anybody shake that for you. Just understand that just go back and and when the archive becomes available, just replay the uncensored comment before I interrupted and just listen to the tone and the clarity and the certainty in your voice and just hold on to that. Mm. That's yeah. I, that's the benefit of the yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Funny how and there's no reason for you to sacrifice too. it. Say again. Mm-hmm. It like your BB gun thing. I mean, where did that come from? But it it was more related than directly related to my issue than your BB gun thing was. I'm not discounting your BB gun thing. There's a connection, I'm sure, but. Um, yeah, the, remembering that was a great 
relief because I left that booth thinking those guys, they're trying to help people. They're trying to do what's right, and it's just so not right. It's so not right. And if they had asked themselves the question that I asked myself, what control do I have about what attracts me? Zilch. You know, that would have, that was sort of a pivotal thing, but somehow I still went away and had many, many years of burying the rest of it, which still is very much an issue, still just scratching the surface. I think I've seen, I've looked at it straight in the eye for a split second and then turned away again because it's key to everything in my life, this issue. Every friendship, every, the way I feel about my work and my whole life is connected to this issue. I can feel it, and it's just got to be brought out somehow. Well, that was an awesome pre-recorded show. Hope you enjoyed that. Welcome to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. Today it's Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022. Our call-in number is 563 563- Nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and let us know um, if you have a comment or a question because that makes this your show. So if you have a question, please press one, and that'll raise up a hand. And while we're waiting on Michael to get dialed in, um, I'll invite you to go to the website whyagain.org and uh, click on the Start Here button. You'll see two videos that will walk you through the website and the app. There's several things that are new on the website. If um, I'm clicking over as I'm talking, (laughs) we have a fundraiser going, a Heartland Maintenance Fundraiser. And so you'll find that uh, if you click over on Heartland, it's the first thing underneath it, Heartland Maintenance Fundraiser. We also have the Global Book Club, the recording from last week, is now out there for you to listen to. And uh, uh, let's see, what else is new? The shop is new, so click on it. And uh, if you have, oh, I know what I was going to announce. YouTube, for us to apply for monetization, we have to have 1,000 subscribers, and we have 982. So we need... 18 more people to go out to our YouTube channel and to click subscribe. And I've put the direct link to that. It's youtube.com, Michael Rice underscore why again. And um, so I put the link in there and click on there and subscribe and watch some videos and and uh, stay on a video for a while instead of just clicking on and off. And also we have um, just a couple more days of this year And so if you need a tax deduction for this year, please go to the Donate or the Heartland Maintenance Fundraiser. Both of those, the donations will um, count as a charitable uh, tax deduction. If you buy something from the shop, we have a super sale going on, but a purchase is not tax deductible. However, the proceeds from the, the sale will go for our fundraiser, and also you'll get some great deals on some products. So I am going to now turn it over to Michael, and if you have a question, press 1. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And 
getting close to the end of the year. I hope everyone has had a safe and wondrous uh, holiday season, that uh, if your celebration was Kwanzaa, that it was awesome, and I understand goes through to December 31st. Developing skills for living as a true human being in, in love and in presence of of that higher mind. If your celebration was Christmas, then that making the space in yourself, in your physiology for the active presence of love to show up where perhaps there have been a thousand generations that have habituated fear and sadness and grief and rage and pain and trauma, which sadly leads to physiological decay and the ability to step into that space where you bring the active presence of love back to your cellular structure in part by removing those things that never belong, then the cellular structure starts to begin to rebuild itself and a whole different result happens. If your holy day season was of the Jewish tradition, then we hold the space that the awakening of that relationship with the love of the creator becomes a, a really powerfully enhanced experience in this time frame. And the same if you're, there are so many other, the Mohammedan religion, the Muslim uh, faith with Muhammad and you know so many others, Zoroastrian, that each one has a celebration around this time of year where it's focused on the shortest daylight season of the year called the solstice where we have the longest night and the shortest day and then that shift over into the days becoming longer the light becoming more pronounced and each of these traditions is grounded in something that really works in the world if one is following the true inner work of any of those traditions. And so we hold the space that, uh, that we can recognize our sameness. And in this particular time of such conflict in our country, that our sameness begins to overcome our separateness, our connection to those things that separate us, though there are far more things that connect us. I love what Albert Einstein says. And, you know, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. It is something that is created. This idea of separateness is something that is created by the perceptual mind. And it's something that's been promoted down through the ages. And by locking into those perceptual constructs of the mind, there's not room for a different experience. That's why this tool of forgiveness that we teach is so important and such a key. Because as you begin to apply forgiveness, literally, over time, you are loosed from the conditions of your physiology. You are loosed from the constructs of your mind. And the more you are loosed from those things, the more you apply, especially the forgiveness tool, and weaken those energy fields of, of perception, of constructs that are solid and physical and real that include pain and suffering and trauma and, you know, and somebody else being the problem in your life, 
as you apply forgiveness, those constructs in the mind and therefore those energy patterns in the body weaken. And the body has a chance to step into a healing mode rather than being locked into a pain and trauma mode. And so when you realize that perception and physiology are different aspects of the same coin, the mind and the so-called body are simply one singular event looked at from two different perspectives. I've used the example of I have a, a silver dollar in my hand, and on one side there's an eagle, and on the other side there's a head of a politician. And we say, well, there's a head and a tail. Is there really a head and a tail? Or are they just perspectives that we name as though they're separate? If you think they're separate, then I want to see you take the head off of the coin and leave just the tail. It can't be done. This experience of physiology along with emotion and mind is simply a singular event named by different names. And what we do with our minds in the, you know, we're, we're looking to have a holistic approach. I mean, literally from the soil up yesterday, a lot of our conversation was soil and plants and how that nourishes and nurtures us. You can't have a healthy structure if you don't have proper nutrition. And yet, you can't have a healthy structure if your physiology is locked into hostility or fear, which literally, physiologically, down blood flow to everything that has to do with thriving, everything that has to do with health in a fear state is shut down because we have this survival mechanism. This, it's called sympathetic dominance. And sympathetic dominance, the fear, fight, fright, freeze, or fawning mode, doing what other people want you to do, is a reflection of sympathetic dominance, which is survival. And literally in that state, blood flow is shut down. Energy flow, nutrition, is shut down to the healing mechanisms of the structure, to the reproductive mechanisms of the structure, to the digestive and eliminative uh, mechanisms of the structure. Those things are literally cut off from blood flow, and it's a wonderful mechanism. It's meant to only operate for a few minutes. You know, if there's a lion in the jungle that's after you, you get over it, you know, when you escape the lion or you're eaten. You know, this just doesn't matter. But if you don't ever get over that sympathetic dominant mode because it's chronically installed in your mind, then your physiology is going to suffer from a lack of the ability to recover or repair itself, to move into longevity, to experience joy, to experience higher brain function. Those things are cut off. Reproduction, elimination. As you begin to work on the aspect of this singular event we call a body-mind unit, and you remove those things that bring you to fear. Forgiveness is about removal, remember. You remove those things that bring you to fear, then literally circulation is loosed. As you loose yourself from the constructs of your mind based in fear, and any construct in the mind based in fear is a disease in the body. Any disease in the body will show up as a perceptual construct based in some form of hostility or fear. You don't need to know anything about what's going on in the world to know that the mind is in gross error 
if it's producing realities, producing constructs based in hostility and fear. And so perception is a construct. It's a series of pictures and sensations generated by the mind to show us its unique interpretation of what's going on in the world. Suffering, anger, fear, rage, all emotions are nothing but constructs. And these structures are often passed from generation to generation. Perception is an active creative process structured by the mind out of content resonated by events in the world. It is never the events in the world that are the problem. Let's go back to a quote we found a couple of years ago from the CIA. They spent millions doing research on human intelligence. And here's the shocking conclusion that they came to. Quote, and you can go to our website. There's a link there. Jeannie's probably already putting it in the notes. You can also download the book from the CIA's website. It's a little harder to find. They keep moving it around, so Jeannie has put it right on our, our um, website. But here's what the CIA said as they researched intelligence. Perception, and we could put in quote brackets, the world you see, what your brain shows you that you think is going on outside of you but is really happening inside of you, Perception is a demonstrably active rather than a passive process. It constructs rather than records reality. Here's the CIA saying, perception is a process of inference in which people construct their own version of reality on the basis of information provided through the five senses. Now, that definition is deficient from the CIA because they don't, they're not realizing that Yes, that external information, what comes in through the sense is important, but what's the data that's stored in carbon-based memory in this body-mind unit that's resonated into activity by what comes in through the five senses? It is the interaction of those two things that produces this thing called perception, and it is unique and individual to every person. And when you recognize that, then you realize that you have an opportunity to, one, improve the quality of your perception by upgrading it. Whenever the mind is using hostility or fear to produce a picture in the mind, the, the mind is using corrupt data to do that, and it degrades perception as well as physiology. So when you realize that it's a construct of the mind and it's based on something, and to me, you know, and, and there's nowhere in history that I've found this in all the searching I've done over the last half century. When you realize that there is something that drives perception and perception can be collapsed by knowing what that is and what to do with it, you've got a monumental a monumentally powerful way of moving into your physiology and removing what never belonged. Everything that we see in the window of our minds is an interpretation. Each interpretation tells us more about the content of our minds than it tells us about the world we believe we're looking at. If it isn't love... It's not out there. The block is inside of you. 
We are never independent of our perceptual constructs. And the world tends to respond to the energetic dynamics beneath our perceptual constructs and cooperate with them. That's called creatorships. Pardon me, creatorship. Probably the greatest atrocity done to us as human beings down through the ages and that we've had hidden from us is the fact that we are creators. And we bought into that. Frederick Nietzsche said, all things are subject to interpretation. Whichever interpretation prevails at a given time is a function of power, not truth. Let that sink in. Whatever interpretation, whatever construct your mind gives you, you accept it because of the power person dynamics in your life. And you'll remember the power person dynamic. Three things have to happen simultaneously in order for a power person dynamic to be developed inside of someone. The three things that have to happen are, one, some, and this is usually between a parent and child. It's, it's early childhood stuff. It usually happens between a parent and a child, although a power person dynamic can happen outside of that relationship as well. But generally, that's where it happens. And the three things that occur to install a per, power person dynamic within one's mind is the parent had more power of the child than the child had. The, that's one. Two, the parent was not functioning out of love. <clears throat> Pardon me, was not functioning as love. And three, the child perceived that circumstance as survival. It happens very, very early for most people. When that occurs, when you think of this body-mind unit as an energy system, the energy system of the child opens wide. It becomes just like a sponge. And whatever is going on in the environment, oftentimes, let's say, for instance, the power person is in rage. The child, knowing only of itself as love, has its energy field open, and, and an open energy field is like a sponge. It just sucks everything in from the environment, and what it sucks in becomes its physiology. It's the initiation, I would offer, of all diseases. So once that power person dynamic is installed in someone's mind, until it is addressed and removed, there is a physiological disease condition going on within tissue. Until it is removed, that child, as it grows, and I don't care whether it's two years later or 80 years later, will be limited to three behaviors and three behaviors only. And I just invite you to look at your life and just see how this fits for you. The behaviors will be determined by the level of stress that one is under. When there's little or no stress, a person who has had this power person dynamic received within themselves 
when there is little or no stress, they'll do automatically. There's an automatic decision system that just kicks these behaviors into action. They'll do whatever they did to get along with their power person. In many cases, it's that uh, fifth phase, fight, fright, fear, freeze, and fawning. They'll do whatever it takes to placate and get their power person to back off with their attacks. So they'll do whatever they did to get along with their power person. And then when stress starts to build, a different dynamic kicks in. And at that point, the behavior shifts and one moves into doing whatever they did to resist and survive with their power person. And then the third level of behavior, when they become ultra-stressed, they will turn to the memory in their mind of their power person doing that horrific behavior that they hated the most. They'll turn to that for advice, and what should I do here now that I'm ultra-stressed? And they'll do what their power person did to them that they hated the most. My offering is it just runs the world. And that, I believe, is what Nietzsche was saying when he said it's a function of power and not of truth. If we could be loosed from the perceptual constructs of our mind, everything would appear, this is actually a, a loosely uh, quoted uh, reflection of the writings of William Blake, The Marriage of Heaven and Hell. When, when he talks about, he talks about the doors of perception being cleansed. What I'm talking about there is forgiveness that weakens the hold that the constructs of your mind have on you. If those things were loosed, everything would appear to men as infinite. For man has closed himself up till he sees all things through narrow chinks of his cavern. talking to Grady Love the other day, and he offered a, an awesome way of understanding that. You know, if you've ever gone by a construction site and there's a, a hole in the fence and you look and you can see a certain amount of what's going on there. But if you're at the bottom of the fence, you don't see very much. Applying forgiveness in your life allows you to enlarge the hole through which you see the construction site and move higher and higher up the fence till you have a whole different perspective. The mind is a reducing valve. Remember we've talked about the Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the maximum amount of data that goes into our perceptual constructs is nine bits of data, a very tiny piece of information. That's like the hole in the fence. The mind is a reducing valve. And we miss out on the fact that we live, move, and have our being in a universe that is literally created of active present love. Now, you don't have to take my word of it. Just go hold a newborn child and tap into their essence. Go and look at each of the enlightened ones from all of history, and their basic conversation was always about love because that's the energy field in which we live. Reducing valve called the mind is reducing its perceptual constructs 
to those things based in hostility or fear. One, one is destroying one's own physiology, and you can recover from that. And two, one is seeing a world that exists nowhere but between their ears. And of course, there is the one world religion of that's taken over, that, that has been running the world for thousands of years. And the one world religion is that of childish blame. It's all somebody else's fault. When we sit silently and watch the world around us, it's taken a lifetime to learn dominant beliefs and structures of the culture are. You might remember the movie The Notebook. And I came across this quote, I need to go back and watch that movie again. It was powerful. But here's what Nicholas Sparks writes in The Notebook. Because the mind constructed in the world has to keep interacting with the world, has to keep busy. And there's a reason why the structure's been set up that way. Because if you're kept that busy, you never get the time to go inside and reflect, and then you never have to get what's inside of you. But here's what Spark said in the notebook. We sit silently and watch the world around us. This has taken a lifetime to learn. It seems only the old are able to sit next to one another and not say anything and still feel content. The young, brash and impatient must always break the silence. It is such a waste, for silence is pure, silence is holy. It draws people together because only those who are comfortable with each other can sit without speaking. This is a great paradox. And then uh, an individual named Shannon Alder added, I'm just kind of sharing some different quotes that I came across on perception. I was doing some research. And this reinforces the whole idea of the power person dynamic. Your perspective on life comes from the cage you were held captive in. What was the power person dynamic in your life? When we wake up, we realize that we have not only senses of uh, the physiological senses, taste, touch, smell, hearing, and sight, but that there are a whole other set of senses, and those senses are developed in silence. Those senses are developed in relationship with the pure presence of active love and the ability to simply sit with and be with that presence of love is something the world knows very little of. No, no, we've got to keep busy. Got to keep busy because there's something in here that's chasing me, and if I sit down and get quiet long enough, I'll have to look at it, listen to it, and deal with it. What we're saying is there's a wonderful tool that was created by this man, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago. Here's how you deal with it. You can remove those things. They are not a part of who you are. There is no inherent truth in them. Those things were installed in you by power person dynamics that have been passed from generation to generation to generation. If 
one is blind, deaf, and dumb, they live in a world that's really quite devoid of experience unless they activate their higher senses. One who has not activated their higher senses is much like the one who has no sensibilities and has lost their physical senses. So it's time for us to begin again, begin anew with the new year coming and recognize that words are a key to how we create our world and words of violence keep us creating a world based in violence. Darwin had an interesting thing to say in this regard. He says, it is worthy of remark that a belief constantly inculcated during the early years of life, whilst the brain is impressionable, appears to acquire an, an almost nature of an instinct. And the very essence of instinct as it is, is that it is followed independently of reason. What we're looking to do is to support people getting reason back into the act as the spiritual faculty that it is, not resonance in the mind that just fires off whatever it contains. And so our objective here is to really truly make as available as possible on a global level the tool with which perceptual constructs that entrap most people are collapsed so that they can step into literally the connectedness and the presence of love firing within their physiology and shift their disease organs and cells over to being powered and fueled by active present love rather than the things, the hates, the fears, the rages, the guilts that have been overlaid and have taken over the cell energetically. Literally, what we know now is that when one thinks a thought, that thought produces a molecule in the so-called body, and that molecule, called a neuropeptide, circulates around in the cell until it finds a receptor site that matches, and it lands on the cell and inserts itself in the cell. And if you're looking from the inside of the cell, when that neuropeptide lands, what you'll see is what you call chemistry entering the cell. If the chemistry, if the mind energy of hostility or fear has taken over the cellular structure, the diseases are horrific. If you're willing to give those habits up, it's an interesting interpretation of one line in the Lord's Prayer that goes, get us out of our habit mind. Remove us from habituated behaviors. And so this season of the light now growing. Millions of people globally focused on this presence of love through whatever religious tradition they approach it. The celebration of a new year coming into view in which we can live differently than the past, not by making New Year's resolutions, you know, we know how long those last. But by stepping in and doing the work of upgrading perception through forgiveness, 
of upgrading the, the literally the frequencies, the energetic patterns, the literal chemistry in the cell that operates the cell, that operates the organ, that operates the whole structure. If one knows no better and continues to move in the direction of hostility or fear, then they're moving toward the precipice of self-destruction. It doesn't matter how close you are to that precipice. If you are just one step away, like death is tomorrow, if one steps back a step rather than continuing in the old patterns, then one steps a, a, a day away from death and two days and three days and three years and, and, and moves into a totally different dynamic. Taking the load off of the cellular structure, the cells begin to function fueled by the active presence of love, by mind energy connected to love. One of the reasons for this show is, you know, there aren't very many resources out there where you can go in the, in the normal world and, and have a connection to love. This conversation is here on a daily basis to support and inspire and assist people in removing the energetic patterns that lock them into hostility or fear and upgrading the whole function of their system. Something that's based in their true nature, which is love. So that's kind of what we're here to do. And of course, the world has its lies. You know, and it will continue those lies until the cows come home, unless you choose to do it differently. Here's one more quote I'm going to share before I complete for today. If you tell a lie big enough, repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of the lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent, for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie, and thus the extension. The truth is the greatest enemy of the state. And if you think of the state as that which has as its prime objective, its prime directive to control people, as opposed to its original design, which was to serve people, then the lie tends to move and take over, and those who hold to the lie will do anything necessary in order to make their, to solidify their power and control. And it's the individuals who wake up and say, excuse me, excusez-moi, you ever seen that uh, that little poster of the the lemmings heading for the cliff, and by the thousands they're diving over the cliff, and there's one lemming standing up above the crowd, turned the other way, walking back through the crowd, saying, "Excusez-moi, excusez-moi," choosing to go in the other direction. This radio show is for those who choose to do that. That's what we're here to support and sustain. So we're delighted that you're here to be part of the conversation. And Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Nobody has a hand up, but I see several people on the switchboard who have asked questions lately off of the show. Uh, Susan just raised her hand. 610, Sweet. you're on the air. Welcome, young lady. Howdy. Hey. Oh, uh, I've just been regaling Jeannie with... A, a suggestion. <clears throat> I I told you yesterday I ran an, our Al-Anon group and I put in the chat right. the 
information for them to come and get the app. <clears throat> I really think right. we should start charging for it. And I know you don't want to charge for it, but there is no shame in charging for it for anything that helps people. And I have paid for many apps and thought nothing of it. Sometimes they're $10, and I'll think, $10? But this app, I'm going to be using it forever. That's nothing. I don't even – and I know for some people, okay, you can make a deal if they can't afford a dollar or two, but this might be a kind of steady income. Um, and I, I just wanted to put that out there on the radio show in case other people who are listening might have an opinion about that. And I know you have an opinion, Michael, and it's great that you've been giving it for free. I do. But, <laughs> yeah. And for the people who are willing to give the $10, they're going to do it. And those who aren't, we're not going to inhibit. I know of people who are, I, I remember one woman, and and this woman, she and her husband, he was a contractor, big contractor in Fort Lauderdale, and they were pretty wealthy. And I told her about an app, and it was something like $3. Oh, I don't pay for apps. I mean, lady, you just, I, I, you, your, your husband was telling me they just replaced the roof on your house, and it was $25,000 for him as a contractor to do it, and you won't pay $3 for a nap? <laughs> but, you know, it, yeah. it, it is a thing that some people do. So. Well, it is a thing with some people. But anyway, um, I'm not going to fight with you, but I just want it. Yeah. it seems I hear like you. a very obvious way to get because you do so much for nothing and so little, and now you're at a point where you don't have that steady, you know, the retreats and the driving around. Life has changed, and, well, I'm, it sure I just suggest that. And, and I, okay, I well, I'll question. tell you what. I, well, let's look into it. I'll talk to Jeannie because okay. I know that there is a, uh, there's perhaps another option than charging, but it's more akin to charging, and that is we could put it in the category of pay what you would like. And there's a pay button where you can do five dollars or ten free, five dollars well, or ten dollars or ten thousand dollars. That would say again. Well, than if you doing now, <laughs> if if but you put anything in the app that is asking for payment, I mean, like on Google, I was able to put a donate button, but on Apple, I had to just direct people to our website. If you even a donation, if you put a button where people are going to give you money. They insist that you use their pay system. Like if we use mm-hmm. PayPal, they've got, say, an Apple pay system, and they get a percentage. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they wanted and, something like 30%, didn't they? Yeah, the Apple did. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, that was even for donations, so I don't know. Mm. But we'll look into it. Oh. Uh, Wow, that's so. A thank shame. you for the input. Yeah. Also, Michael, as per what you were talking about, I have a question having to do with addiction and addiction behaviors that show up when somebody is inebriated. You have you have people who, and this happened at hospice too with old people. Some I know I'm going all over the place. Let me ask my original question, which okay. is. What is it about a person who can seem totally socially well-integrated and sweet and kind and thoughtful, drunk, and they get nasty? It's a whole different personality. What is that? 
the primary function of the human mind is inhibitory, mm. is to shut things down. And so all behavior is inhibited in the mind. You know, that yeah. abhorrent behavior that Uncle Charlie did, you know, at, at parties and, you know, everybody hated him for it. But, you know, little Billy, he's got it in there. But every time he started to do it from two to three to four to five, he got a whip in the head and he was told, you never do that. The inhibitor is now installed and that behavior can't come forward. Yeah. When one uses alcohol, one of the things that happens is blood coagulates when there's alcohol in it. Coagulation means it cuts blood flow, and the first organ to be struck by that is the brain. Mm. And the first thing to go is the inhibitors. So mm. Billy, who wouldn't say that four-letter word with his mouth full of it, he's now 40, but you give him four drinks, and man, that's the first thing out of his mouth because the inhibitors have been knocked out. And now there's a great impetus behind that because it was stuffed down his throat 10,000 times to force him to never say that. That inhibitor is in there deeply and powerfully. But when the uh, energy flow, the blood flow to the brain is restricted, the inhibitors fall away and whatever's in there is going to come out. By the way, one of the things, I, I was doing some research. I actually just posted an article. Um, you might want to give it a look on, on my Facebook page about aliens and how mm. they came to Earth and on New Year's Eve and discovered this, uh, this fluid, or they, they observed that New Year's Eve, that, they, that most people had this cabinet in their house where they kept this fluid oh, that yeah. they served only to their best friends and family. And then, mm -hmm. of course, the story unfolds and the alien discovers that this is involved in, you know, 40% of murders and it kills 3.3 mm -hmm. million people around the planet every year, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, but one of the things I was, I, I just came across, it was, I was redoing that, I was doing some editing before I posted it this morning, is that alcohol, extended alcohol use, throws off serotonin levels and that it takes for the average alcoholic it takes 18 months for the serotonin levels to be balanced and for the mind to function properly again wow and so if the individual who's attempting to it's it's not a matter of of will mm -hmm. it's a matter of support if the support yeah. is there, if the caring is there, and, of course, the, the will of the individuals involved, but it's not the main factor, until those serotonin levels get back on balance, they can be thrown off. And when, you know, the, the primary driver, for, to me, my understanding working with people the last 50 years, the primary driver for all addiction is pain, unresolved, unconscious, mm -hmm. usually unconscious pain. Pain people don't even know it's there doesn't come out yeah. until, you know, that fifth shot of scotch. And then they're just slobbering this horrible thing that happened to them when they were three. Mm -hmm. They don't even know it's there when they're sober. Yeah. And so getting the serotonin levels or, or, or having the support until the serotonin levels get back to balance, which puts people in more of a choice position, I think is really mm -hmm. such an important key. 
That's good to know. Yeah, I had a good talk with Luke yesterday. And I said, Lukey, you know, now that you're sober and it's been 60 days, he told me. I said, That's you're awesome. going to be feel, feeling some feelings that you probably were burying under the alcohol. And I hope you can get enough for that so that you don't feel overwhelmed and need to drink because that would be the worst possible thing. And he said, I'm really aware of that. And he said, I want, when I get to college, I want to get a counselor, somebody I can work with. Um, But I'm going to AA groups every day and I'm aware of that. And I am feeling a lot. So it's quite a challenge, especially when I'm alone, because what I used to do when I was alone is anesthetize myself. And that would be my, my way of dealing. So, Feeling no pain. Yeah, well, having you spell it out is really interesting, and it leads me to another question I wanted to ask. Tim and I used to volunteer at a hospice in Connecticut. Um, Right. It was a separate facility, and very rarely we would get an, uh, an old person who would be very near death and just as ugly as possible. And the family was amazed. They would say, this is the sweetest person. What has happened to this? In one case, it was a man. I saw two and one, a woman. And they were both like demonically hateful. And it was creepy to see. Now, is that anything like now the inhibitions are down and the trauma can come forward and the inhibitions can be dropped? Or what is that? As, Have you seen that? At, as death approaches, the whole system begins to shut down. And one of the things that's going to shut down, you'll notice that in the last days, oftentimes people don't eat or drink. And so yeah. nutrient content of the blood is lowered and blood supply mm-hmm. is compromised. And so I, I, don't, I, I have not done any research in that, but it makes perfectly logical sense that when that occurs in, in someone who's aged and, and the microcirculation of the brain is compromised, that that inhibitory system, again, is going to get knocked out and, you know, whatever, whatever's in there. The earliest trauma wow. or genetic traumas, uh, you know, wow. it won't necessarily relate to this individual who is now 90 about their, you know, their whole life. Everybody said mom and dad were very sweet, but great, great grandma and great, great dad might have been the worst fighters and abusers in the world. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. oftentimes, I think, why uh, alcohol skips a, alcoholism skips a generation because those energetic patterns aren't brought forward in everybody mm-hmm. in the bloodline. Mm. And once again, you know, to to the the practice of being the space is so key, so important. Right. Well, yesterday on our Al-Anon meeting, it was an open topic, and I was the leader, so I could introduce a topic. And Al-Anon, of course, teaches about codependence, you know, and how you... You try to reach serenity by stepping back, unconditionally loving the alcoholic and trying to do what is best and correcting and taking care of yourself and so forth. But the word goal, um, I, did, I had a worksheet ready uh, in case it went that far. But, man, they loved 
the discussion and the thought of the goal being something that can be canceled, not that it's a bad goal, but anyway, I'm I'm starting to sneak your work in. And it's interesting Sweet. when I introdu- I introduced the app in the chat, as I told you, and I was called right on it. One of the women who's been on Al-Anon for a long time said, this is the sort of thing that may be great, but you really shouldn't bring it up during the meeting. You can stay after and put it in the chat, um, but Al-Anon insists that only their own materials are used for meetings. And I have found that this very restricting um, because the material is good, but uh, the Course in Miracles, the Way of Mastery, your work, um, a lot of modalities or a lot of tools now go beyond or are just better or more immediately useful. But, so I've, I've gotten sly. What I do is I summarize something and therefore it's my own material and nobody questions it. <laughs> That's pretty sneaky. Right, but I'm right. loving my meeting and it's a lot like our Zoom meeting. It's all about you know, healing, using tools to heal. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the the simple fact is that no, you know, a point that I think everybody can agree on is that I'm never upset with what my alcoholic child, spouse, whatever, you know, in the Al-Anon setting right. is doing as long as they're fulfilling all the goals I have for them. Right. And then pointing out that that's a key way into healing the hidden parts of our own minds creates an opening without going off track with, you know, bringing in somebody else's writing or somebody else's work. Right. Yep. That's a great way to put it. It is the key way to healing. It is. I mean, there's nowhere else I've seen it in all the studies I've done except this genius mind 2,000 years ago that said, Here's where forgiveness lies. Here's how it's done. And of course, the goal isn't canceled because there's something wrong with the goal. Actually, some of the most important goals to cancel are the most wonderful, wondrous goals you could hold. Oh, yeah. And if I load a wondrous goal in my mind and that wondrous goal resonates a part of my mind with pain in it, then to access the unconscious dynamic beneath that pain, I'm going to have to cancel the goal. I'm going to have to apply forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. Hold the space. Thanks. You are welcome and deserving. And Happy New Year. We're getting Thanks. close. Thank you, too. Yep. Yep, we're thawing a little bit too. Oh good. Yeah, we're thawing here too. Um, yeah. uh, yesterday I was talking with Michael about the um the fact that we're gonna start creating a, a private national park here and I the uh I so the cool. local yeah, the local dump is uh they they collect like people just put their leaves and their grass on the edge of the road and every so often a a city vehicle comes by and just sweeps all that stuff up and takes it and composts it at the dump. 
Unfortunately, the mm-hmm. dump has been uh, compromised here and creates a stench over the city that's been just horrific for years. And Ooh. they finally forced them to shut down. And I called them just this morning because it is warming up a little bit, and I was going to get a trailer and get a load of of this compost to start our mm-hmm. uh, our private national park. And they said, oh, dumps closed, period. Yeah, we got all that. Yeah, we got it there, but you can't have it. Oh so, no! Yeah, they said they may be find they may find a mechanism, but it's just like within the last few months that they've actually it's gotten so bad that people were so up in arms they shut they just shut the dump down. They're taking it the trash to different cities now. But uh, wow, that cut us is off this, from our. Is this park on your property or where is it? It's our our front yard, our our lawn. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's so great. Well, there's a there's a guy named Talamy. I'll send you a link to uh, to some of his stuff if you want. He's a university professor, and he's he's pointing out that uh, one of the biggest problems in in food supply in the world and in this country in particular is that we've gotten rid of all kinds of native plants, and yeah. that the insect population is collapsing like drastically and dramatically, which most humans say, good, the insects are gone. But what we haven't realized is those insects are the root of the food supply. And if we don't have those insects, we don't have birds. If we don't have birds, we don't have, we don't have, we don't have. And the the whole food system collapses globally. Mm -hmm. And we're not far from that. That's just one more thing that we need to be looking at. So what he's doing, he's actually got a a website, homegrownnationalpark.com. And if you are going to start to plant native species, you can go on, you can register your property. And he's working to get, you know, millions of acres. He's he's inviting people, you know, yeah, you're in a city, you need to have your lawn because that's what your neighbors do and you need to be part of the community. But shrink your lawn and turn part of it into a national park. So homegrownnationalparks.com, go take a look at it. And uh, he's he's just, I mean, he's very precise in, you know, uh, this caterpillar, this this um, moth is the reason why we have wheat. And if that moth goes, the wheat supply goes. And in order for that moth to survive, it's it's co-evolved with the ABC plant, whatever it is. And if that plant disappears, there is nothing else that moth can eat, and they will become extinct. And when they do, so will wheat. And he goes through, and that's just an example. That isn't one of his examples, but that's just an idea of what yeah. he's, he's talking about. And he just points out point after point after point, and, you know, and it's well, something that everybody can do. So if you, even if you've got a, you know, if you're in a, a city in a, and you've got a, a deck on your, your apartment, you can put a couple of pots out there with native plants, and, and if you feed them, they will come. These, these insects will start to regenerate and uh, protect our food supply. It's, it's as important as global warming. Uh, perhaps more important and more imminent because we're, I think he, he points out that, um, let's see, what was the, Gene, do you remember the number? We just watched one of his videos the other night and the, the New York Times had an article where they were saying that the uh, the collapse, that, that I think, I don't remember, Gene, do you, was it 50%, 70% of the uh, insect population in America is extinct, it's gone? Yeah, I don't remember. Do you remember what the number was? Anyway, it's a huge number. <laughs> yeah. And it's as important as forgiveness. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Anyway, that's one of the things we're working on, and we just don't couldn't couldn't get the compost from the uh, from the dump, the composted leaves and uh, and grasses. So we're on looking for another source at this point to be able to start our homegrown national park. Oh, such a great idea! I wonder if you can do it in your backyard too, where no yeah, one sees it. Anywhere. I mean, well, my nobody needs to see up. it. I mean, nobody <laughs> needs to see it. If, I mean, he shows he's showing you know plots where people have just taken a you know a four by ten area in their in their yard and turned it into native plants to feed the uh, mainly the moths. The moths are the big pollinators in the country. I didn't realize that. I always thought the monarch butterfly and the bee. He points out there are 500 different kinds of bee, and each one has, in many cases, has only one plant that it can eat and reproduce wow. with to survive. And so, you know, he's got resources for here's what's local in this part of the country, that part of the country. Here are your native plants. Start planting them, even if it's just a, you know, a 10-foot, square-foot area in your yard. Yes. Or on your deck or in a in a pot in the front yard, you know, you know, a... a, a Lots of different ways to do it, and everybody can participate, like, on a minute's notice. That's great. This is going to cause a ruckus with our next-door neighbors. We've always had, we've already had a, a run-in with them because we went natural last year, and they objected, and we had to mow it all down. But if I got an ordinance from the city, wouldn't that be nice? Um, this is kind of like... Bio warfare or something. Oh, I tell you. But there are things we can do. Yeah. And again, we don't have to do a whole yard. We can start with just a corner. That's what we're going to do. There's a strip up the back of our yeah. yard. And we're just going to yeah. take a, an area and just run a strip along. There's some trees, and we're just going to run a strip along there and start planting things that are going to feed nice. the uh, the insect population that we need to have a food web. Yep, that's great. From food to forgiveness. <laughs> it's all part of the healing process. Dick healing, true holistic healing. Well, we're down to the last minute or so. So, young lady, I appreciate you and uh, extend love in your direction. And I everybody, if you too. would. Oh, delighted. Everybody have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world needs it. Blessings. Bye-bye.